but it doesn't mean it goes back to an ideal shape. It's kind of going back to a uh, change in position, but it's established a new resting position because of what has been done over and over again. Because going back to that, that uh, compressed decompressed thing, with every breath we take, the pelvis is moving, the pelvic organs are moving, the pelvic floor should be moving, the diaphragm's moving. And so then every breath we take starts to kind of take the path of least resistance, depending upon the position we're in. So things start getting pushed into positions. And then that becomes your new norm because you're breathing in that position. When the student is ready, the message becomes clearer. So it's not uncommon for the master to have been there and providing what they need. They're just not there yet. It's not clear enough. It hasn't processed enough. That's okay. It's not a smart thing. Welcome to the Empowered Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Katie St. Clair, and I'm so grateful you are joining me. On each episode, I'll be chatting with movement-related experts and guests who have a passion for looking deeper into how we can enhance our human experience with movement, breath, and better understanding of the brain and body. Let's dive right in. On today's episode, I'm so excited to talk with Michael Mullen. Michael is a clinically based athletic trainer with over 30 years of experience in rehabilitation and performance training. He is the owner and clinician at Integrative Rehab Training, which provides rehabilitation, training services, consulting, and educational programming based out of Cumberland, Maine. He is on clinical adjunct faculty at the University of New England, is a licensed physical therapy assistant, and is a certified clinician through the Postural Restoration Institute. In this episode, Michael shares his hydrobiodynamic view of the human body. He relates our internal pressure management system and natural asymmetry to a snow globe and goes deep into the sensory experience and its effect on the brain and body. He discusses his zero expectation approach with his patients and offers advice to movement professionals. I guarantee this episode will make you think differently about the human body and inspire you to make a difference in the world of human movement for yourself or your clients. Welcome, everybody. I am so excited for this episode. I'm here with Michael Mullen, who is someone I consider a mentor and a friend and a colleague and just someone I look up to so much um, in sort of the same movement space and very different movement space than me. So I wanted to bring him on here today to give his insight into the body, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, somatic nervous system, and how all of these fit together to really provide a rich experience for um, movement and hopefully healthy movement so our bodies can feel really good. Um, So Michael, will you just tell us a little bit about, tell people where you are and kind of what your practice is and just a little bit of background. I know you don't want to go too deep because 30 years is a long time. <laughs> Seeing you as always, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Um, love talking shop with you always. We get into some deep conversations. So hopefully this will be really fun for people. Uh, Michael Mullen, uh, my, I'm an athletic certified athletic trainer. Uh, I've been in industry for over 30 years. I see uh, clients out of a studio above my garage at my house in Cumberland Center, Maine which is just a little bit north of Portland, Maine. Uh, And the name of my practice is Integrative Rehab Training. And I see anything from, I see a lot of complex people. People have had chronic issues, people who have been to a lot of other practitioners and haven't had success with other interventions and other models. Um, So I do a hybrid of 
you know, table-based activities that we're doing to try and kind of get them into a better place to stuff that we're up and around and we're pushing weights and managing various ailments that they have. So um, I feel fortunate over many, many years to have been exposed to a lot of things, a lot of different models, uh, spent a lot of time with other really smart people and had some great conversations. And so we'll share some of those concepts today. Yeah, that's awesome. I wanted to set the stage because I've yet to have a podcast really diving deep into some of the concepts that you talk a lot about. And I love your viewpoint on the human body, but basically not seeing it as levers and this, you know, muscle moving bone sort of model, but this internal dynamic and fluid system. Um, and one of the things that when you came here and taught to us that really just gave me a new appreciation for the things you talk about was the vacuum and suction effect that we have at the diaphragm at different joints. And I wanted to see if you could kind of, I know that's a lot to ask, but give us like somewhat of an overview. So my audience is not in the dark going, well, what are they talking about when we move on? So something yeah. about you view the body. Absolutely. Um, so I look at, I feel fortunate to be able to feel like I look at things from the inside out. I learned things from a standpoint of, again, the way that things measure and move and what we're looking at from the outside. But the more that I've gained a better appreciation for what kind of happens internally, uh, it's helped to uh, more uh, completely create a picture in my head about what I'm accomplishing or what I'm trying to accomplish with people that I see. So concept number one that I think is important for people to appreciate is that you know, we are a fluid-based system. And by that, I mean the construct of all of our structures inside our body, which includes bones, is a fluid base. When we are born, actually, we're, we are born in, in utero, we are, we are bathed in water. <laughs> we form through cellular water. When we're born, we are 99% fluid. That's why babies kind of flop around a little bit, because the structures have a lot of bendiness to them because there's a lot of fluid content. Over the course of our lifetime, as we are, uh, go through more and more laps around the sun, we begin to lose some of that fluid-based content. So that's kind of one concept to have people think about. Things like, you know, our tissue is malleable. Our bones can bend. Uh, structures can be manipulated and kind of change their direction and shape because it's kind of got a fluid base to it. And that's a good, um, overview of thinking about the word that I use, which sounds fancy, but when I talk about the body, I talk about things from a hydrobiodynamics perspective. Hydro meaning water, bio meaning life, dynamics meaning the way that those things move around this living organism. When we do things during our daytime, I want to have the clients that I work with and the image that I have people have in their head be one of flow. So that's a very good water-based uh, image in their head. Flow state is what I'm trying to kind of restore with people. Those of other belief systems, of other backgrounds, of other models have ways that they label things. We want to get things to a balanced state. We want to restore neutrality to the system. We want to, you know, there's different ways of phrasing things that all kind of emanate around the same concept of we want to get the body to be able to move in and around a, an area, a region that allows it to move fairly fluidly. I keep going back to the same kind of theme, okay? So inside us, we're based upon a lot of pressures, meaning that everything inside our body is based on pressures. You go to the doctor, they check blood pressure. They look at intracranial pressure, intraocular pressure, intra I mean, I can kind of keep going. Like it's all about management of different pressures 
and different ways that the body's able to kind of come out of having too much pressure and then going back into having an adequate amount of pressure, which if you can see from my hands creates this element of expansion and compression, which if we think about it from a fluid perspective is an element of, to your point, suction, meaning things have to be able to kind of capture the um, uh, control of things next to it. We have this big mess of stuff inside us and I wanna have all that stuff kind of working independently yet interdependently with each other. They're able to kind of move together, but yet move independent. So with enough movement capabilities, but they're kind of hanging on to each other through kind of suction. And there's that sweet spot. So what's the sweet spot? So the analogy I tell people is it's kind of like if you take a step and you step in mud and it's like dense mud and you stay there for a period of time and you go to pull your foot out, it's kind of like it's holding you hostage. It's really sucking you down, not allowing things to move. If you step into it and move quickly, or if it's more too fluidy, then your body just kind of is able to move out of that fairly evenly. We want to have just that right amount of you kind of step in it, things kind of seal, and then it allows you to be able to kind of create some, uh, capture some control to allow you to be able to create that mechanism that allows you to be able to release just enough. That's us. That's the breath we take. As the diaphragm's going down during inhalation, I want in my head suction on the bottom of the lungs and on the inside of that rib cage to kind of hang on to structures to allow them to be able to be pulled down to expand into the thorax and expand into the abdomen. And then that suction allows things to be able to have just enough to be able to create that compression back up during exhalation that allows that air to be kind of uh, pushed back out in a fairly passive way is ideally what we're looking for. So from a fluid perspective, I think about the body's outsides moving around the insides. What do I mean by that? If I go and I think about my body kind of going and reaching something like this, we can talk about what's internally rotating and what's externally rotating. We can talk about a reach, for example. What I want to have people think about is, I want to have them think about a coil. I want to have them think like my rib cage and my bone structures and my fascia that surrounds us, that's full of fluid, is turning around our internal structures. So we're creating this rotation around and coiling around into different directions when we're moving into different positions. I want to have people picture in their head that when I do this, that that vertebrae of the spine is doing this. It's turning. Yes, my arms are rotating and reaching and my rib cage is turning, but I want the picturing, oh, I want that vertebrae, that spinal cord to be able to create a coil so that that, that spinal cord that's running down the middle of it, whoa, is getting a little bit of a turn. It's allowing the pumping of the fluids around that spinal cord to stay loose and mobile and, 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 and viable. I use a bobblehead cue a lot. I'm like, okay, we're gonna get to a position, great. Okay, do a little bobblehead. I want that head to be loose on top of that cervical spine where there's space at the hole of the bottom of the skull for that spinal cord to go down so it's not getting kind of compressed. That allows the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid up around the brain to occur. So then I'm doing stuff that's allowing it to move down here independently, but it's not pulling things with me that creates more tension than I want until I want the tension until I want more pressure, which is called weight training, which is called performance. So building from that 
hydrobiodynamic model of mood and fluid fluid states, I want to then say, great, now we've gotten this capability. Can we now add some load to this and more protected ranges and help some build some integrity in that new uh, capability? And then kind of like challenge it a little bit. Let's have you jump higher. Let's have your split squats in a larger stance than we started. Let's have your squats go deeper now that you've demonstrated good control in those smaller ranges and challenge those, those uh, movement and positional capabilities. At the same time, in my mind, cueing with breath, cueing with positions, cueing with little adjustments to help kind of uh, maintain at least as much of that balanced position as possible during the treatment session or during the, the, the performance session. That's just, that was fantastic. You basically, <laughs> everybody's going to be going, ah, okay, I, I feel it. Like you can feel when you were explaining that, I can literally feel it in my body. And so many things are coming into my brain, you know, that are separate completely from any of the musculoskeletal system. Like I even thought when you said the thing about the embryology and then a baby and how it flops around, I thought about that movie, Benjamin Button, and how <laughs> like in some ways we're all wishing we could age backwards, right? But if we age backwards way too much, we wouldn't have the compressive capabilities to manage our body against gravity and all the things that we want to do as adults and humans. But um, the other thing that that came to me when you were saying that is the idea of the spinal cord itself and the fluids and having almost like a enough compression there to allow for the decompression, like that sort of concept. Because I think compression a lot of times gets talked about as like this bad thing, like you're too much muscular force compression. But really what you're kind of saying is the compression, like in the diaphragm scenario you just talked about is sort of allowing the decompression. Like if you don't, you have to have the suction. And I think that is something that really alters the way that, that some of these concepts are explained and other, many other systems are explaining these concepts in different ways. But that really, to me, makes it much easier to understand. Compress, decompress. Compress, decompress. You with me? Diaphragm compressing structures, and now let's decompress them, okay? Diaphragm compressing structures up above, now let's decompress them, you know what I mean? Push, pull, give, take. <laughs> but the idea mud and sinking your foot in, but having some traction back because it's the control of the decompression versus just letting everything blow out. And right. maybe in some ways, that's what gets people into more pathological states is that lack of control or I guess the other end of the spectrum too. Correct. And, that, and, that's, and that's where the more people have become uh, better aware of connective tissue and what connective tissue is and does and appreciating, when I say connective tissue, talking mostly about the fascia, the stuff inside our body that actually forms shape, protects organs, but allows things to move. You know, analogy, I, I was doing some lectures this past week and the analogy I was telling people is like, do you really think it's the rotator cuff that actually throws a ball over hundred miles an hour? It doesn't have the shoulder blow apart. It's not, it's a slingshot. It's the, the, the storage of energy that this connective tissue, this suction that it's able to kind of capture just that sweet amount that allows it to get to a place that then we can create this kind of slingshot, just enough suction in the mud 
that allows us to hold things in a position that we can then use to help create some degree of proportion during a throw or a golf swing or a plant and change of direction that we do in other types of activities. So when we don't have that good suction or let's say areas are dried out, not as fluid, um, can you explain to people in a, in a traditional term or you know, in, in our normal everyday speak, what that could mean from a pathology standpoint? So people aren't like, well, what does that mean if you, you know, tissues aren't fluid? Like what happens potentially? <laughs> Got it. Um, I, I said push, pull, give and take. So there's this, you know, whatever we wanna call this, this sweet spot of things. There's a spectrum of the way that things move and the way that things behave. Let's just talk about tissue. The sweet spot is my bicep can contract just the right amount and can release just enough for be able to create this eccentric, this lowering, this negative repetition activity. And it's just, it's just right around that sweet spot. But if I've got a shoulder that's a little bit tipped forward, if I've got an elbow that's oriented in a different position, if I had a, uh, a little bit of a trauma to that area, so it's got a little bit of a spot that's kind of like thickened and built up in that area, that sweet spot's now not the same anymore. So now it's not going to contract quite the same way. It's gonna kind of contract in this, this twisted way. And so now I'm going to build compensation on top of that to allow me to be able to create the, resist, uh, the, 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 the movement that I need to in order to be able to do the performance for the bicep muscle. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it from, let's say, sitting position. So everybody talks about, oh, sitting at a desk and bad posture. And so if, if someone sits for a period of time in a position, and let's just say their back is a little bit rounded, and let's just, we can go down that road. Then over time, the tissue on the back gradually lengthens. So now that connective tissue quality and that fluid capability of it being in that sweet spot where it goes, yep, I can bring him back or her back and I can bring them forward. I'm able to hold them in this position. I'm able to bend down to pick something up and allow it to kind of boing, kind of spring back to shape. Well, that becomes compromised. Now the kind of the fluid's been squished and squeezed out. Now the tissue's kind of like gained some length and that's its new resting length. It's actually called creep of tissue, which I get called all the time, but that's a different story. So kind of like if I took this and I just, held tension on this for the next hour, if I let go, that fabric has now stretched out a little bit. And that's the way it is until I do something to create a change, i.e. throw it in the washer, in the dryer to allow it to restore shape. Same kind of idea. The body is consistently in positions that allow stress on structures to occur. We'll go back to this representation, this, this model. Then that tissue has now changed its position. Now other muscles are going to get a little bit short. Other tissues are going to get tightened into different directions because it's kind of like, well, I'm too loose there. So something else has to get short somewhere else. And so then when you go to try and do something that you want to use that capability of the tissue, it doesn't have that integrity anymore to do what you want it to do. So it can present as weak. It can present as sore. It can present, you know, we can present a number of different ways, but it's that that loss of, of, of integrity. Again, fluid kind of stretched and squeezed out a little bit. 
tissue that has now kind of got a little twist to it because something's not allowing the muscle and the tendons to be able to line up correctly. So now it kind of contracts more like this instead of being able to contract like this to allow the proper squeeze and release to take place. Compress, decompress. Is that a good answer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when you're when you're discussing that, a lot of times that would maybe I'm just throwing random terms out here, but someone may call that hip impingement or you know shoulder impingement or some kind you know injury that you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you have this thing, you have a labral tear, and and then we're gonna you know do X, Y, and Z to fix it. Yep. So how do you get around? Well, first of all, let me back up because I want to talk about, I also want to get in just a little bit about the natural bias of our position to the right side of our body and this kind of common asymmetrical presentation and have you explain that from an internal pressure system, understanding the hydrobiodynamic <laughs> explanation of that, because I, I really want to get into what you were, we were kind of getting to um, the autonomic and somatic or the peripheral nervous system and kind of the influence that this, all of this can have on that. I think that's something people would find very fascinating. Okay, let me just go first to the hip thing. My, my, since, you, since you mentioned it, it might be helpful. Let's go back to that desk work because everybody sits. Whether you have a sitting job or not, everybody sits for periods of times. So movies, sitting, reading at nighttime, something like that, okay? So this is a pelvis and we're looking at it from the front, all right? So let's just say that that pelvis is sitting in this position for a period of time. Let's just say that over a period of time, it starts to kind of like get tired being in that position. It's gonna to start to kind of like change. It's gonna to start to flex more, okay? So that means that these bones here might start to kind of move a little bit, make space for that to happen for a long period of time. These bones, let's just say, will gradually, depending upon the person's structure, might gradually get a little bit turned inward or turned outward, depending upon the direction that one or both sides goes as that sits in that position for a longer period of time. And let's just say the surface that they're on, for example, a couch versus a firmer chair will influence that type of thing. Well, if that happens more regularly, it's the same analogy as I mentioned with this. Now the tissue and the structures are like, well, this is the direction that I know to go. This is the direction that my body has now been put into consistently. So I've lost some of that, I'll use the word integrity again, of the tissue and the, 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 um, the, the muscle's ability to hold position at rest. And so now it begins to kind of create some, and we can use the word impingement. It can be impingement like this. It can be impingement like this. It can be impingement like this. Something begins to go far enough that it's like, now I've hit something, which is what is. And so then the body begins to compensate further when they go to shift their weight or go to get up and move or something like that. But it doesn't mean it goes back to an ideal shape. It's kind of going back to a uh, change in position, but it's established a new resting position because of what has been done over and over again. Because going back to that, that uh, compressed decompressed thing, with every breath we take, the pelvis is moving, the pelvic organs are moving, the pelvic floor should be moving, the diaphragm's moving. And so then every breath we take starts to kind of take the path of least resistance depending upon the position we're in. So things start getting pushed 
into positions. And then that becomes your new norm because you're breathing in that position. So now suction happens. You know what I mean? So then it's a reinforcement of all these concepts that then becomes the same when you're upright or doing exercise or doing, you know, day-to-day, day-to-day tasks. Yeah. So it's sort of like you, there should always be an end point, but you just made your end point smaller. And so you're sort of going into that end point more often. And then that's irritating something. Correct. Great, great words. And it's also a place where people, the brain, I mean, the brain runs the show. So the brain's always looking for something to be easy and convenient. And it wants it to be um, as little work as possible so they can complete the task at hand. So it's going to try to find something to rest on. That's what a properly positioned chair should allow someone to do. But we've we've gained too much credence into supporting everything. Do you know what I mean? You know, jacking up shoes, jack... I just sat upright when you were talking about it because I realized I was doing, you know, just the awareness. I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally hanging out up here. You're thinking, you're processing. So the brain's like, do me a favor, just chill, sit back, listen, because it's easier to take it all in. In particular for people that aren't as capable or aware of being able to make an adequate change like you did successfully without it being a massive distraction to them. It's just more than the brain wants to. So it's looking for impinged areas. It's looking to impinge because it's easier. It gives me something to rest on. It gives me something to kind of hang on to, to support myself. Kind of like the way that we kind of, you know, lean on an arm, kind of like the way we lean on a hip, kind of like the way we lean into a wall. I mean, we're just constantly looking for these energy saving mechanisms because this wobbly, unstable position that we can get into that is sitting and standing in movement for some people, it's just too much work and too much thought. Yeah, it's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. <laughs> we're all puppets and we're, we're trying not to be. Like, yeah, from from these, you know, also this is probably somewhat of our, our situation now here in the 21st century that creates even more of this, but. Well, and we've had this conversation. So here's, here's a message, I'll say one or two, and then we can talk about the asymmetrical piece that I think are, are would be good to have your clients here. And these are messages I try to get across to the clients that I see. That's a hard concept because it doesn't get reinforced anywhere. Society wants stability. Society talks about tight cores and rigidity and strength. Make sense? Yes. It's to be linear. Gravity's bad. We need verticality and straightness to, to combat gravity's influence on our bodies. Like these messages are not ones of everything we've talked about so far, which is mobility and fluid states and suction and compression. Not messages anybody who leaves my studio gets anywhere else until they hear this podcast. Thank you very much, Katie, for putting this on. (laughs) Yes, we're going to change people's minds one podcast at a time. Tell people, I want you feeling unstable regularly during your daytime. Weird concept. I don't want them unstable, but I want their brain to feel safe with Pinocchio, good words, with mobility, with standing, with joints that are unlocked, kind of lock and lock, lock and lock, lock and lock, lock and lock, wobble, 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 bobble head, bobble head, bobble head. Because what's really managing my body position right now as I demonstrate this low state, neutrality, balance, whatever we want to call it, 
is I have my auto sound filter on like you taught me so people can hear me breathe <laughs> is, <laughs> is suction and pressure management so that that's what's allowing things to be in a position that everything's contracting just a little bit, just enough to allow me that if I kind of go into any of these states, it's, it's got um, activity that allows me to come, come back to a middle-ish area because that's what allows me to be able to kind of like turn to reach. That's what allows me to be able to reach up overhead and extend and come back to the middle. That's what allows me to be able to touch my toes and squat deep when I do things with me. So that middle, that middle ground, that wobbliness is what I want to have people feel when they're out walking, when they're doing stuff during their daytime. Reinforcement at times where it's not intensity because that's what allows the body to be able to be in a position where it feels safe with this more unstable state for recovery. What's recovery? After athletics, after a workout, to sleep at night, or recovery if someone loses their balance. If I'm talking about tight cores and rigidity and straight shoulder blades back and this whole thing, if I lose a step, I don't have any wobble. Mm -hmm. If I step, if I've got this ability, then I've got the ability of my system to Pinocchio, thank you, <laughs> into a position that all these tissues are, whoa, 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 I got you, I got you. It allows recovery from off-balanced states. It allows the body to be able to react easier because it's not too rigid. Makes sense? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, and I can, and again, I mean, you're such a, your, your descriptions of this is so spot on because when you're talking about it, I can feel it. And, you know, I'm a movement person and I've been an athlete my whole life. And as a gymnast, it was a lot of creating stiffness, but also really allowing yourself to yield in certain situations. So you kind of get that flow, but there was no terminology when I became a strength and conditioning coach that explained it in that way. So it was all the things that you're talking about, which is tighten your core. I mean, I can't tell you how many anti-rotation exercises I did that in a position that was not good at managing internal pressure. <laughs> you know, like, and I really screwed myself up not understanding this um, in some way, you know? Yeah. When, when we need to do more stuff and we need to challenge our loads more, I want stiffness of, if, if we want to call it core, let's call it core. That's fine. I want that intra-abdominal compressive stiff tightness. I want to have people feel like they know how to have their structure grasp that internal mechanism that we talked about before and hang on tight with muscles, with intensity to lift heavy things or to change direction or to grab their child and pick their child up with me, but not all day long. Right. Balance to me is a, another misrepresentation. So a lot of times, a lot of the thing that a lot of my clients are like, it just helps me feel so much better. Like I feel my balance is terrible because their balance interpretation is stillness. Stand on one leg, be still for, can you hold it for 30 seconds? Do you know what I mean? Oh, can you do it with your eyes closed? So I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but that's not teaching someone how to balance a system that's dynamic, that has to breathe at the same time. The only thing this teaches them to do is to get good at this test. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, my balance is better. I can hold it for 30 seconds. And that's not necessarily accurate about 
transferable balance to a system that's dynamic during the daytime. I don't want people flopping all over the place, but I want them feeling okay with the body moving around. Yeah. I want stuff not to be necessarily on wobble boards or Airx pads. That's fine. I want them getting the ground first and challenge themselves. Punch, 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 pull, 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 turn and look, turn and look, pump your arm, you're like get the system to learn to become dynamically more balanced. That will allow them to have better carryover to things they want to do outside that make them feel off balance. So it's kind of sometimes it's just reframing the, the images people have that I feel aren't necessarily accurate depictions about what is ideal for a hydrobiodynamic hydro organism. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think that, you know, clients will say things. I can think of this happening just the other day with one of my clients and they're, I'm having, it's a couple I train and I'm having them do just like reach down, touch your toe on one foot and then stand back up. And they love balanced stuff because it resonates with them. Cause they're like, oh, when we're going out on our boat, like I'm so, when we went out on the kayaks or when we went, you know, in the water, I'm just glad I could get out and, you know, move around. Um, but hearing them say things like, I feel like I'm wobbling around a lot. And I'm like, so that's like, that's the point. Like, it's okay. Like your, your body is just adjusting to all these different, you know, tasks that I'm giving you. And it's normal to wobble around as opposed to, they might watch me do it and it looks fluid and perfect. But the reality is that that doesn't, I just practice it a lot. It doesn't mean that I'm like, winning or like my body is, is adapting. And in fact, maybe my body's not adapting as much as theirs is because I'm not creating enough wobble for myself in that. If I were to do the same thing, does that make sense? So that's what came into my mind when you were talking about it. Um, I like mine. I'm like, Oh wait, you have problems. I'm like, I work on myself all the time. I got my own list. We all got a list. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're reflective of a complex organism that's living in a complex environment. You know, we all got it. They're not dysfunctions. I feel like people are getting dissed all the time. Diss this, diss that. <laughs> Don't diss me. <laughs> we have to label things to some degree, but you know, a lot of those labels sometimes then become um, uh, poorly reflective of what their needs are. Now it's a diagnosis to fix a thing which is not necessarily what their issue is. We need to kind of work on having them restore that everything we've talked about so far to get them to a better place to move around and through things that are more problematic. Sure, if they've got trauma or damage somewhere, they need to get that taken care of. But you know, a lot of discomfort or aches or pains or stuff like that, that's not pathology, meaning like a problem. A lot of times it's just, it's that, it's that imbalance of structures and that compensatory, I'm sorry, compensations we've put on top to try and manage those imbalances that the brain and body feel. Okay, perfect. So now you can, you, you went right there. So perfect. So now you can go in. I would love for you to just kind of give your description of that typical asymmetrical pattern. I call it lots of things because I never have a good, I, a good way to know what's going to resonate with one person or the other, but how do you explain it? And can you explain the comp, you don't have to explain all compensations on top of it, but just that that is a layer of it. Sure. Um, in all credit to the Posture Restoration Institute 20 some odd years ago, 23, 24 years ago, when I took my first course, that was the first time I had been exposed to this concept and idea about an asymmetrical human organism, which 
sure, you know, there's a little bit of different stuff when you're going through schooling, but the influence of what's happening internally can have on the body and how we do stuff, how we behave, how we move. So, you know, they've done a lot of research. They have a, they pulled from a number of bodies of evidence to try and kind of figure this whole concept out. And then a number of other methodologies are starting to kind of look at this a little bit more. So it's been very refreshing. So in my mind, a couple, the, the, the way that the system works internally, and again, sometimes a little, sometimes a lot, We're, you know, things are on a spectrum and where on that, that gradient are things and reflective to the, the amount of imbalance that it's affecting the, the, the body. Because of the way that our diaphragm is positioned, you see my hands are not even, because of the way that our diaphragm attaches to our spine, you can see that my fingers are not even. Because of the way that our liver is positioned inside our body, heaviest organ inside our body, most mobile organ inside our body with every breath we take. Because of the axis that our structures are on, the heart's on an axis, our intestines are on an axis, stomach is on an axis. That is all reflective of the imbalance inside in a good way, it's supposed to be there to allow pump and suction to occur. That happens with every breath we take to some degree, okay? So during inhalation, as that diaphragm goes down and the liver turns and our organs move, there's a, 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 a turn, this what we call procession, this rotation that happens during this mechanism that looks something like this. I'm looking at you from the front. I'm exaggerating it. People sometimes have a hard time looking at rights and lefts from the front. So it would look like this. So there's kind of like a downward pull-ish. There's kind of like a right-sided bias-ish during that inhalation mechanism. And the turn of the organs and the turn of our internal structures creates this leftward, whatever word you want to call it, kind of rotation, spin, opening, expansion, things like this, that creates a bias of the body many times and orienting itself to make that process happen easier with how we sit, with how we stand, with how we perform, with how we lift, with how we carry, with how we move. That's looking at things from a mechanical perspective, okay? From a structural perspective, the way that our, uh, when the tubes go down, when we inhale, they go into our lungs, they're angled at a different direction. So it encourages more leftward expansion. This lungs shapes different than this one. It's easier to fill, also based upon the angle being easier for it to be able to fill this left side more towards the front than the right side. There's a, a cortical thing, meaning like the way that our inside our brain, cortical, the way that the left and the right hemispheres kind of take information in and process stuff. Our right hemisphere of our brain controls the left side of our body. The left hemisphere of our brain controls the right side of our body. This left hemisphere is language, logical, decision maker, it's, 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 it's boss, if you would. Right side has a propensity to be more spatial, 
artsy uh, environment. You know, they just process information a little bit differently. There's not any real left brain, right brain people. Just to be clear, I won't go down that road today, but just just, that's a little bonus. (laughs) Some people are more artsy. Some people are more analytical. That's just kind of the way things are. There's not necessarily a brain thing. But that being said, this more logical decision-making process manages our more dominant, not better, just dominant right side. So that can also bias us towards this right side on top of that internal dynamic of what I just described before. So we've got movement, we've got orientation, and now we also have kind of like the nervous system saying, hey, get over there, get over there when you're paying attention to this lecture. Hey, get over there when you're feeling that you need to be defensive. Yeah, get over there because it's just easier, not better, easier. And then in some variation, this is what I'll see with all of my clients. No matter how they present, there's elements of it that I will see, but they've just stacked on other layers of compensation on top of it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if they're here to see me and I see that it seems to be part of why they're here to see me, then I want to address it. And so we work on trying to get them to learn to change how they position themselves during their daytime to kind of offset that biased position a little bit. We talk about ways to, again, like I talked about earlier on, manipulate breath to get things to kind of open a little bit differently than it's used to and close a little bit differently, i.e. inhale and exhale, expand and compress. Okay, I'm just trying to tie all the words together we've talked about. Get them to learn to be in positions for longer periods of time than they're used to so that they get used to it so that the brain and the nerves that are sending signals and the organs and the structures can all kind of settle into place there. So analogy, I tell people, it's kind of, if you think about a snow globe, okay? And so if you take a snow globe and you kind of shake it and you put it down on a table, let's just say you put it on a little piece of paper on one side, it's gonna tumble around and then everything's gonna kind of settle. One side, okay? Well, if I'm positioning myself all day long that way, above and beyond expansion and compression, all my organs, and here we go, you ready? Fluids will settle like a snow globe towards one side. And then the longer we're there, the more that stuff settles more and then becomes where you'll automatically fall into when you go to do whatever, stand, sit, move. So the snow globe analogy I tell people is, I wanna have you get up periodically to shake things up because I want to redistribute stuff. I want the fluids to move around. I want things to shake up a little bit. The longer you sit, think of the snow globe. If you put it down for 10 minutes, you pick it back up, it shakes pretty easy. If you put it down and leave it there for an hour and pick it up, it's work to get the snow to release. Am I making sense? Does that analogy help? Yeah, that's fantastic. And I'm thinking you you want to get to shake them up and then have it settle a little more balanced side to side. So it's not all settling to one side all the time. Exactly. And so that's why, you know, I tell people, I want you to be a desk jockey. People are like, Oh, desk jockey. I, I, well, I want you to be a desk jockey because I want you to move. Yeah. Your desk. Do this 10 times, breathe in and out of your nose, go back to work. Right. Get up, walk down the hallway, come back, go back to work. You know, so it doesn't have to be big breaks. It's just, Shake it up a little bit, 
allow the structures and the fluids and the molecules and all this stuff to kind of spin around a little bit, redistribute, get back down. You've moved your brain into a different position and that will allow more flow as well too because it's, it's that pumping mechanism, compress, decompress that I'm trying to stimulate all day long. Yeah. How we're supposed to work, not what society has put into place that tells us how we're supposed to be positioned. That's a big point. Yeah, and having that focal point in front of your face 20 or, you know, eight hours a day via phone or, you know, and I mean, even right now, people are listening and you're on your phone and you've got it in your hand. What hand is it in? Like, where are you looking? Because it's a lot of times in this right side and we're kind of looking like this and and tend to kind of, and I'm left-handed and I'm doing that all the time, you know? So you can process and position and orient. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking about something when you were saying this and part of why I created this podcast is because I'm very curious about a lot of things that I've learned from my coach, Emily, who's more helps me with the neurophysiology side of things for, to heal from my trauma event. But she talks about this monkey brain and it's sort of like when your brain is spazzing out, whether it's stress, trauma, you know, an injury. And, and it's like, you're, you're just feeding into what's happening next. And how do I fix it? And, and, and why is this this way? And you're, and all you're doing is your thoughts are like scrambled, like a, a television, the old school television, it would just scramble the channels. Um, you have to get a lid on that in order for you to think from the logical side of your brain. And in some ways, when I think of what you're talking about with this snow globe analogy and the inherent asymmetry inside of us, it the ability to shake it up sometimes, but recognize that it's settling more often to one side. So one side's sort of shaken up a lot and needs a lid on it to settle more and how that might impact our, you know, our experience in the world. Yes. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about the influence of this. This is a, you know, there's no way you can talk about this on a podcast in full, but a little bit about the influence, if you can, on maybe the cranium or the brainstem and the pons and how there's an impact there that's much deeper than just our movement and our ability to own side to side. That's huge. I'm sorry. <laughs> I will. I'll simplify some concepts and we can talk another time if you'd like about deeper stuff. Number one, one of the things that today's world, I keep talking about today's world, you know, kids today, well, guess what? Kids today, when parents were saying it 30 years ago, it's even more different today. Okay. Today's society, uh, and you know, we've, we've talked about this, today's society is, is, is a constant distraction. It's chaos 101. It's constant things vying for people's attention. It's uh, speed and intensity. It's flashing lights and images and activity. It's speed, okay? So all of that influences our senses. And now our senses don't have the capability and therefore, our brain doesn't have the capability to be able to be present in what's happening. We're, we're not there. 
what gives our body what we talked about to start, flow, movement, peace, rest, recovery, uh, capabilities to manage those things are our senses. And our senses are what allow us to be able to feel like we can impact our deep nervous system autonomics to be able to influence the change of our sympathetic parasympathetic balance, okay? Number one, number two, what do I mean by senses? I'm talking about if we go for a walk, the looking out down the road and then looking down for safety and then looking out and then looking down, push, pull, push, pull, whatever, expand, compress. I'm talking about sensing and seeing out of the corner of your eyes, things passing by. Hey, John, how are you? Hey, Sally, how are you? you noticed I turned and rotated while I did that. Hearing things, appreciating change in sounds, Doppler, that, that depth, that um, optic flow, meaning the ability of these things to flow by us, this sensory flow, things to be able to be uh, captured and, and understood, the smell of the lilacs when you turn the corner and then, wow, they get really strong and then they pass away. All of these things that allow us to be more present, allow our senses to open up, allow us to be able to move freer and easier because we're less focused on what's happening next or what happened earlier. I'm not saying we have to be, we can't be there. We're supposed to be in these places at times, but we are too distracted from the present. And our current present now are the distractions that are being thrown at us. You alluded to the phone one. We could talk about it with a multitude of things. So what that does is that affects the brain's ability to feel safe. It's like it wants these experiences. It wants these, um, these chemicals being able to be released in a balanced state. It wants this, what they call this ergotropic system, which is sympathetic chemical and trophotropic system, which is parasympathetic chemicals. It wants this nice dopamine release and then kind of like replenishing it you know what i mean it wants this flow that allows things to be able to kind of like that was so awesome but that's enough for now let me go on to something else that's the new thing not man that ice cream's so good i need a half a gallon of it not i can't get off my phone because my dopamine fix is not enough mm. not um, I need to exercise intensely every single time or I'm not working hard enough and kind of keep going. But even the things that normally were good and healthy and not problems, we're changing into becoming problems. And now we have addiction to things that used to be good. Gaming, hey, you know, Angry Birds, you know, it's like now it's kind of like people can't stop gaming or food or sex or exercise. You know what I mean? Now we have more and more addiction to this because of that lack of um, balanced capabilities of the system. So the soma is basically your replenishment is kind of what I hear you saying in a way that can allow you to manage your autonomic system a little bit better. But would you also say that sometimes impacting your autonomics, like with breath work, doesn't have to be positional, just general breath work, could help you to like reframe 
and sense more and, and go, Oh God, like, I don't know. I do this when I'm teaching because I'm teaching online. I, I sit in front of a double door window, like a French doors. And I always have to like, somebody asks me a question. I have to look up and out. And I really think it's like when I'm staring at the screen, I have a hard time thinking clearly or something. It's like forest for the trees. So I have to like look out and that I truly feel like it does something to my brain. <laughs> it's like a reset. You probably have seen me do this. I've looked that way. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like sometimes I'm watching myself on recordings and I'm like, I'm talking to this person that's on a screen and I'm looking up there. Yeah. There has to be something to what you're saying. In my mind, there is. Focused, periphery. Okay. Intensity, paying attention, being uh, concentrating on a certain task. That's great. I need some space to think about this. I need some space to kind of recover, allow my body to kind of chip, settle a little bit. So sympathetic and parasympathetics is a, that autonomic part of the nervous system. I'm sorry, part of the nervous system that is that autonomic nervous system driven a lot by our cranial nerves that come out from places other than our central, our central nervous system, meaning brain's spinal cord area, okay? And so that's sending signals to our body to adapt to an environment. And so what do I mean by adapt to an environment? It means uh, if I'm walking down for going for a walk and it's a little chilly outside, I keep walking, my body warms up a little bit, my system warms up a little bit, I'm good. My system was able to adapt its internal regulation to that temperature change. Versus I bring a coat with me, two coats, just in case I have the wrong coat, because I have to kind of like put a coat on to manage that temperature change. And now I have to put the lighter coat on. Do you know what I mean? So we start to overcompensate and overregulate what we're supposed to be able to be a little bit uncomfortable with initially, maybe, to allow us time to adapt to it, i.e. cold plunges with me. Yeah. That we are um, overriding with today's stuff that we do. And so that capability of the system to be able to feel like, oh, when I'm present, I'm going in and out of this. Oh my gosh, there's that dog. Holy cow. You know what I mean? What am I going to do? How am I going to react? Well, I don't want people to feel unsafe with a dog, but it's like, that's part of what is the human experience is those types of things. And then how do we handle it? How do we recover? How do we respond? I keep using walks as an example, just because it's something that pretty much most everybody does to be able to then say, oh, great. Now as I turn the corner, that dog's back there. He's such a pain in the neck. I'm just going to maybe change my route next time. And to be able to kind of help to create a, a compensation to override something that doesn't allow me to get too amped up. Or maybe I'll go talk to the owner about it. Maybe let me have them in some, you know, I'm just, I'm off on a tangent there. We get the idea. Like, how do we handle that thing that amped us up a little bit? But then how quickly can I get back to that more balanced, controlled state? Kind of restore that uh, capability of the soma's flow again to recover. Sometimes it imprints a lot. And it takes a long time for the body to be able to heal and recover. If anybody gets that, it's you. And have to work through stages of those cycles to, to allow that to be able to occur and not influence our day-to-day -day life. Yeah. Adrian, was that okay? No, that's good. I was thinking about, you know, what comes first, the chicken or the egg scenario here and knowing how to, to start with someone because whether I'm a trainer, you're a therapist or a ATC, you do manual work, but 
in some respects, every single human that walks in our door is either suffering usually from some sort of change in the somatic experience that they're having, the autonomic experience that they're having. And it could be from past, present, future, it doesn't really matter, but where to intervene, because if I'm trying to do, you know, some sort of exercise with somebody and they've got that flip lid and they don't have a sensory awareness around them because it's been gone for so long because they've been in this focal position, how much success am I going to have getting that flow state within their exercise program? So how can I sometimes maybe thinking of it from that perspective first versus I'm going to try to change their position and orient them a certain way to then create the impact. Do you know what I mean? Like, which one do you come at first? How do you decide that with people? It's such a great question. So that now we're, now we're entering the unmeasurable art of what we do. Now we're measuring trying to ascertain what, what someone will, um, what message they're ready for and when, you know what I mean? Like what, what will be most effective? And that's what makes a good coach, a good therapist, a good practitioner is trying to do a good job of, of ascertaining what that is. Sometimes people come in and you work with clients, it's like this, some people listen to this podcast and like, oh my gosh, can you just please tell me a couple exercises? I really want to learn a couple exercises. You know, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm not. It's just that's where they're at. And that's that's that is what it is. And other people are kind of like, man, I want to learn more about this. Do you have any reading material that I can learn more about this? Because this speaks to me. So it's it's trying to meet them where they're at based upon your observations, your dialogue with them, frankly, watching behavior, watching how they act, listening to the dialogue they have, seeing how many times you have to go back to revisit themes that you've gone through with them sometimes dozens and dozens of times before. I'm not kidding you. Dozens and dozens. Literally failing and being like, I think I'm not the trainer for you. Correct. And feeling, and it's not you and it's not them. It's just not there yet. It hasn't, it hasn't clicked. So I, 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 I you know, tell people like I have, People talk about, oh, I've kind of learned to lower my expectations with some of these things. I have none. And by that, I don't mean that negatively. I mean, if someone come, if I have no expectations that someone's going to come back and be able to apply some of the stuff we've talked about before, and they didn't and can't, and they weren't able to do stuff on their own to work on that, then I'm good. Great. Well, let's do this again. But if I have an expectation, does that make sense? Of any kind, even a little, then... We both lose. <laughs> yeah. that will be evident. You know what I mean? If yeah. I have no expectation about how someone's going to whatever act when I walk by them down the street and say, hey, how are you today? If I have no expectation of them doing anything, then I'm good. If they smile and wave back, bonus, right? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not trying to lower things. I'm just trying to be kind of realistic. And it's the same kind of thing with a session. So there's people that I have worked with and they continue to come back because they need this. I take that back. They feel, they know we're onto something. They're just having a harder and harder time putting it into place for whatever reason. I said yesterday to somebody three or four times, I'm like, I, like, I was like this. I'm like, I know you're trying. I know you are. I know you're trying to apply this stuff at home. I'm not being critical. 
I just, your, your body's having a hard time connecting this information. So I'm going to really kind of break this down again. Here's what we're going to do. You know what I mean? So then I really, and then it was like, oh my gosh, that feels so different. And I've seen her a long time. Do you know what I mean? And so it's not a failure on anybody, any listener, any client that you're struggling with some things that people talk about. It's not a failure. It's just needs that. Um, people have heard the message, the, the, the concept of um, when the student is ready, the master appears. Sometimes, sometimes when the student is ready, the message becomes clearer. So it's not uncommon for the master to have been there and providing what they need. They're just not there yet. It's not clear enough. It hasn't processed enough. That's okay. It's not a smart thing. So am I, am I still going in a good direction? Can I keep going here? Yeah, let's just keep talking. <laughs> when I talk to people about what I alluded to before, being more present, I'm not being fruity. I don't care what they think of me. When I talk about your senses and sounds and looks and feels and smells when I talk about like we've talked about going outside and being barefoot in the grass first thing in the morning and just appreciating if it's sunny outside or even if it's overcast and maybe a little bit drizzly you know what I mean when when we can become more appreciative of each day's more self and natural based influences on our body which is how we truly evolved everything else synthetic is purely synthetic. It's just our new norm. Then the less chaos our brain and our body experiences. Because if we really think about electromagnetic fields, uh, screens, chemical smells, plastics, um, toxins, molds, chemical smell, I can kind of keep going, you know I'm going. Like the number of these things that are now and permeated into our society. I'm not being a conspiracyist, I'm just being a realist. How can that not be disruptive to us in some way? How can it not? Everybody the same? No, along a spectrum. Some people, not as big of a deal potentially. Other people, it's a big deal. And it throws the system into chaos and they don't know why they don't feel safe. They're doing all the right stuff. They are listening to the master. They are trying all these things, but it's these constant bombardment with these other societal, I'll say ills, that is overwhelming the system and challenging its ability to be able to feel safe because it smells that one smell that they smell when they were a child that um, got on their clothes and burned them or their father, you know, whatever. That's like, bing, oh my God, you know, that just drove that back into over or, or whatever, whatever. Yeah, I used to think, I think in my mind, I would think sometimes, well, there's, you know, like this person has had trauma and, you know, it could have been anything, sexual abuse, um, mental, you know, anguish, whatever it was, a bad marriage, a divorce, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I think to myself, like this have to has to have some bearing on some of these things that I'm trying to do with this person and how it's working, but I dismiss it. I dismiss my own internal compass that was saying that something was there to hang on to and now it's like i cannot unfeel this and when i meet someone now that says something like that to me it is an entirely different system or that is awakening in me because after going through that experience damn like i 
I had no idea just how significant it could be to put your body in a state where you felt completely dysregulated in a way that was uncontrollable. And, and I think a lot of people are going through that and that rise of like dysautonomia. And so as people who are helping other people from a position of, I don't want to say authority. I always want to think of somebody we're on the same page, but they're looking at you like that. And they're sometimes it's like you got it when you have that little inkling inside that there is a possibility for that you got to just go all in and be okay with it like that and recognize that is a huge possibility in this so I love that you're bringing that up and like talking about it more because it's something I personally can't ever go back and and in my mind be like nah it's not it couldn't be that you know what I mean it's so at the forefront and I wonder it you know, a lot of times I had mentioned to you yesterday when I texted you about the podcast about talking about how overwhelming it can be to start to get on a path of learning this information. It can feel like there's a huge mountain in front of you and you don't know even how to get started walking up the mountain. And you could be like me 20 years into your career and think, what am I doing here? Like, is this worth it? But because of the stuff you're talking about from the societal and the 21st century influence, it has to be right. Because we're, it's just progressing faster and faster. What are your thoughts on that? And like the rise in all of the dysautonomia and I mean, do you feel like this is something that's going to continue to be a, a pretty big significant part of your role? Great question. Um, see, you even dissed yourself. You said dismiss, dysautonomia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was definitely dysregulated too at one point, but I'm happy to say using these tools and many others, yeah. there is a way back. There is a way to feel settled in yes. both sides of your body and centered in your brain. Yes, absolutely. Um, the ability for people to be able to hear messages. And that's something that I work on all the time is the way that I'm, I try to create messages with the people that I spend time with and consult and whatever clients in a way that is digestible, understandable, unthreatening. And so creating dialogue and information sometimes is way better than asking questions to create dialogue to get information. Meaning, um, you know, it's not uncommon sometimes when people have these chronic problems, you know, they've had, they've had like some traumas in the past. I mean, sometimes it's traumas they haven't even thought of or even known about that actually just kind of like imprinted something on the brain. And now it's kind of like stuck and rewind all the time. And that's perpetuating itself. It can be, you know, it can be sexual trauma, racial trauma, emotional, physical, you know, and sometimes when I present things like that, not talk about, so did you have experiences in your past or, you know, have you seen a therapist? Well, but you know what I mean? Cause it's, 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 it's sometimes it, it allows the opportunity for people to kind of like hear information and, and see if it applies to them, see if it's uh, applicable to their situation. I did an online session this morning with someone and we talked about, I'm like, and you know, pelvic things can happen as a result of this. And, and they offered up like, oh yeah, you know what? I've, 
that, hey, we opened the dialogue versus me asking about pelvic issues, which is another sensitive area for people, you know? Um, so so to that point, yes, I feel like the way that uh, it emanates back to us is the relationship that we create with the people that we see. And we don't have any idea, and I get more and more of an idea all the time, of the influence that we have as individuals and professionals in the lives of some of the people that we work with, okay? I don't want to say there's a dependence, but there's a mutual respect, a mutual uh, interaction and exchange. Uh, they value the information. They like learning. I, I, I have books here. I, I send them book things to read. I send them articles I've written or I've read. Hey, I thought of you at this podcast. I thought you might like to hear it. You know what I mean? So providing some of those resources for people um, I find very helpful for me to be able to help them in those scenarios. For people who are looking to get started, I mean, we just rattle off a whole bunch of things to kind of have them just read a little bit about. You know what I mean? Like I've been reading more and more about all the stuff that I listed before, toxins and molds and EMFs, electromagnetic fields, dirty electricity, grounding. What is grounding? Well, I use a grounding mat all the time because I'm like, oh my gosh, our cellular structure is what gives us our health and the mitochondria inside us is what keeps us well-regulated and healthy. And we're messing it up because <laughs> we're, you know what I mean? Because of all those other things that I talked about and because people aren't connecting with that natural environment quite as much. You know, So, you know, reading about and seeing like, oh, maybe I'll listen to information about um, like Hidden Brains, a good podcast. There's good information on a whole bunch of, diff bunch of different stuff that provides information on brain health, um, you, know, you know what I mean? So they're just, just starting to listen and expose people to things. In my mind, I would rather take my time, which is how I spend it, and read or listen to a podcast or uh, exchange information with a colleague or a friend than watch TV or scroll or things to me that in my mind create more chaos. I'm not lecturing people, I wanna be clear. Because I spend a lot of time trying to get myself and my clients to make changes that make their brains less busy, to yeah. allow them to be able to be in a better state. And what are the things that are occupying that space in their mind too much? And can I give ideas or some strategies as a human, not just a professional, that might allow them to rethink the way that they're perpetuating this thing? and be able to put it into a sense of kind of like, and I hate to say this, but I'm gonna, I'll say it. If you were to die tomorrow, is it really that important? Don't you think you'd rather invest all that time and energy on the stuff that really makes you happy and brings you joy and makes you feel more whole versus perpetuating what you think that he or she thought of what you said, <laughs> do you know what I mean? If you're worried that much, reevaluate what happened and can you go back and maybe make a correction? If you're like, no, I handled that situation pretty well, then don't worry about it. It's their issue. Move on. Do you know what I mean? And I know that's hard, but I mean, that's just like one example that I dealt with yesterday <laughs> of someone who asked my opinion about this situation she was dealing with with family members. So, yeah. And then the hyper focus on it, because I have people in my life that I love dearly and the amount of um, perseverating on, on one thing, and it could be something from 30, 40 years ago 
that they're still talking about. And you just think to yourself, you know, I said this to someone I love so much the other day. And I said, you know, all the time that you're sitting here telling me about the same thing that you've told me about before, how do you feel in your body right now? And she was like, yeah, I feel sad. I feel awful. I'm like, so the more you talk about it, the more you're actually making your own body feel sad and awful. So in some ways, like if you can reframe and move past it, then you don't actually have to suffer as much, but it's such a hard concept. And be honest, Mike, like until I did the work with Emily, I was living that life too, you know, different degrees, depending on how good life was to me or how bad it was to me. And learning that skill might just be the one of the most powerful things that any human can do. So people should seek out professionals like Emily and resources and you know what I mean? Like get, get the assistance where they need it. But if we tie together everything we started talking about today and some of the things that we've talked about, breath work is the most powerful self manipulation of everything we've talked about today that allows people to be present. You have to think about it. You have to pay attention. You have to feel, you have to experience, you have to explore. I tell us people, I tell us to my clients all the time, you will notice a change right away. Your body and your brain will feel different. Might be this much, might be this much, but it will feel different when you're done practicing this for two minutes. Getting in out of that per, 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 persevering and a perseverating, uh, I'm choosing the wrong word here. Help me out here. <laughs> Thank you. And being able to help say, okay, I got to bring myself back where? Present. Let me stop and bring myself back now. What are, oh, my kids are out there playing this game. I'm going to go out and join them. Or, oh, my husband's outside doing some work. I'm going to go outside and help him out a little bit. Make sense? I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to experience the outsides. You know what I mean? And then they'll visit again and their brain will go there. That's fine. No problem. And then, oh, there's Sally. Hey, Sally, how are you today? You know, Sally's my default name. So if there's any Sally listening to this, it's just my default name. Just so people know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then, you know, what active steps can we do to allow us to bring it kind of back to, to a situation that we can then better manage? Okay. Think about it, process it. Can we take some steps, active steps to allow us to be able to create some resolution with whatever that is? Great, helpful information. Spinning our wheels with stuff, wondering about things we can't control or have no ability to create something that will allow it to be able to create a resolution. In my mind, it's just, it's, it's, it's wasted energy that should be tried to be better managed. I'm not criticizing, I'm not critiquing, I'm just discussing. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know you're not doing that. And, you know, I appreciate that too. Cause, and I mean, I tell everybody like that was me, like, I mean, and it still is at times I have to work on it constantly, but I want to, I want to point out that I think this is like capping off this whole talk perfectly because movement is actually a incredible tool to enter into this world and create the change of the hydrobiodynamic, you know, system so that the autonomic system is functioning better so that we can create experiences for people that influence their somatic experiences. And so as therapists and trainers, is there any advice you would give to the therapists and trainers that might listen to this, which is probably going to be a lot because that's most of my following, um, 
that can help them immediately start to tune into these things with their clients or their patients? Just one or two things. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, number one, for some people, it's okay to start with less. Movement alone, even though you might be in a fitness facility with weights all around you, movement alone is very powerful. Body weight strength training, if we want to call it that, body weight-based activity is incredibly powerful in helping to restore confidence and resilience and strength. I have clients that I tell them, I don't ever really see you lifting weights. There's some people, I'm saying it, it's being recorded, that I don't feel really should really ever worry about whether they lift weights to get strong because that's something we created. We created dumbbells and barbells and kettlebells and packaged it into this focused weight. And then we created this multiple repetitions in one position. Am I making sense? Oh yeah. Versus, I want to have you, we're going to do a body weight based strength program and it's going to wipe you out. And you're going to feel like all your muscles working super hard. And you're going to learn how to explore your body and feel the ground and move much, much better and feel a lot stronger. So that when you do go to garden and to lift and to carry and move your children around or whatever, you're going to be a whole lot stronger, but you're not going to necessarily need to get it through lifting weights. So I think that's a, a concept that is important for some people to hear is like, there are some structures that just won't do well with it. And those are the people that come in like, every time I try to work out with someone, I always hurt myself. Think that way and don't feel bad if your program consists of, does it make sense? Body weight stuff. Two, get the system to turn and alternate. So if your programming is a lot of bilateral based stuff, a lot of bilateral based stuff with most everybody you work with, get periodic offset stance positions to do stuff. Get them to push pull, get them to chop and reach and turn. Teach them to learn to reach down and reach up. Get them to learn to move in multiple planes and directions of movement. And then if you're doing heavier stuff, then that's fine. But in my mind, they need to kind of get that to get the system started and then do a little bit, some variation of that at the end to get them to be able to kind of clean that up afterwards. I see clients all day long that do not alternate well in their daily life. So getting them to learn to be able to do stuff that pumps, compresses and decompresses, am I making sense? Kind of tying it back together. Left brain, right brain activity systems doing these things and fluid movement and air movement and all that stuff is powerfully uh, helpful in helping to calm a body and a brain. How was that? Perfect. Perfect. So um, if people, you, you're one day, maybe you'll have a course, <laughs> but if, I know you have a lot of free resources on your website with more insight into some of these things we talked about today. Um, and you're on Instagram. What, what's your, you have two Instagrams, but what's the main one? So M J M A T C. Okay. The main one. And that's, uh, also my website. So it, I, there's a lot more stuff I should add on my website. I have a very full schedule. I just don't spend enough time on that. Um, so my apologies for some stuff if it looks a little dated, but <laughs> um, 
And yes, I, I mean, I, I, I do teach at, I, I get asked to lecture at different conferences and symposiums and every now and then I put a one day program on. I don't put it on. I wait for people to invite me to come do it. It's just, that's how I roll. You know what I mean? I, I, my yeah. ego doesn't allow me to go put something on somewhere. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. That, well, that's what happened when we brought you here was I, I was like, Hey, Guys, I want to learn from him. We're going to have to bring, well, it worked out that we didn't come to you, but you came to us. But um, I think that's a great way to do it. And I, Jason's actually mentioned to me about coming up there. I was like, you just need to shadow him for like the manual stuff for like a day or two. Just watch. I mean, I think that would be huge. So um, I do small day programs up here. So I have two PTs coming up in a couple of weeks and they'll spend two days and we'll be in the studio here going through some concepts and doing a lot of hands-on stuff. And so I do you know, one or two day programs in my studio as well. I like, I like that small group stuff just because it's, it's just much more effective. I feel like when I lecture sometimes to larger groups, it's just a, there's a big diversity of what they're already know or don't know. And trying to split the middle can be hard. I don't want to leave them hanging. I don't want to leave them hanging. So. I know I had thought about doing a course in person and I ended up settling on the fact that I'm just going to do a retreat that's experiential for the people who've already taken my course because I just, it's like, I feel like, what am I giving here? Like if I go do something in person and I don't know how to like shrink it down and, and some people know some stuff and some people don't, it's just hard to find. Whereas being together and all kind of being on the little bit of the same page might make it easier to explore in person, you know? Um, thank, you. thank you so much, Mike. Um, and I know you said your website and Instagram. Do you have anything else coming up, like actual talks that you're doing in the future? I know it's summertime, so everything's a little slower, but. Um, so I, I taught a program last November that was, uh, I had a, a friend colleague professionally videotape and he edited it and put it all up and I've got it all loaded in YouTube. So eventually that's going to be up and available for people. And it's kind of like a one day program. And it's. That's awesome. I don't know how to put it on a platform to sell it. <laughs> so you with that. <laughs> Ask me. I'm good at that. <laughs> yeah, the, the putting on a platform is the easy part. You probably just do like a Oh, I don't know. I've like it and I waste so much time I don't have time to do this. So you're awesome. Thanks. No, seriously, I'd be happy to help you just so I could actually watch it. <laughs> so, I'm in available for people as well too and i kind of go into some of these concepts a little bit deeper and talk about kind of a, a deeper dive so that's so awesome well thank you so much i really really appreciate it and i know that everybody that listens to this is going to be blown away and really you know grateful to you for putting this message out there for everybody um thank you for you and all you do you bring incredible value and information and content and love to the industry and so thank you for all that you bring to us Thank you for saying that, Mike. Cheers.